Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. All right. Good evening. Ooh, they were light. <laughs> yeah, so tonight it's my privilege to welcome our guest pastor, guest speaker here tonight. Um, yeah, it's such a privilege, you know, Yaku Prinsler. Um, we're going to ask him to come forward just now. <laughs> come, come. <laughs> so he actually, Yaku, you started Shofar Joburg, basically. You pastored Shofar Joburg. So the fact that we can sit here tonight um, in Santon that has been planted from Joburg is a direct result of Yaku's faithfulness and just following God. I know it was God, Yaku, don't worry. But <laughs> just his faithfulness, you know, he stuck it out in the beginning and, yeah, we're part of his fruits. And Yaku has been pastor in Joburg, he's been pastor in London, he's currently pastor in Pretoria as well with Philip and them. So, Yaku, it's just a honor and a privilege to have you here tonight. It's such a blessing. Um, I would like to pray for you, if that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I want to ask everyone if you can just pray a blessing over him. Just, you know, bless him. Father, we just thank you for this man of faith, Father. This man with an absolute father's heart and a pastor's heart, Father, that loves you abundantly, that love your people and your will, Father, abundantly. We're looking forward to tonight, and we just bless him, Father, that he will always hear your voice, that he will clearly see the path that you have for him, Father, and I pray your blessing and your favor upon him and his family, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks so much, Andre. Hi, everybody. It's great. such a privilege to be here. I see there's a run sheet here on the podium. Uh, there's no end time. So that's great. Yeah, I did, uh, Andre did mention I must try and be finished by 8 o'clock. That's cool. What a bit, God, honestly, it's such a privilege to be here and uh, just having a moment there with the Lord at the back earlier. just realized that, um, yeah, it's just to be here is a, is a massive blessing and a privilege. Just to, just thinking, you know, if, if it wasn't for Christ, where would I be now? Where would I spend a Sunday evening. Um, yeah, so I just count it such a privilege to be here with you guys, and and thanks for for receiving us so well. Our family's being well cared for at the back there. I'm married to Erna. Hopefully, we'll get to meet a bit later. And uh, sure, God has really blessed us uh, with amazing children. Abigail has just turned eight. She's the, She's very active and Doing stuff for her birthday, we went to do the acro branch stuff. Have you heard of that? So that was her choice if she wanted to do that. And the half the group she invited was like um, boys, you know, very active, sporty kind of group, you know, so it was quite hardcore. And uh, David is the, the middle one, he's turning six now in September. And Emily, she's three, she's the little one, she's completely different. She has like three or four outfits per day, and uh, and she she has this thing where she 
she flicks her hair like this, and then she comes to me with different pairs of shoes. Daddy, can you please help me put these on? I say, yes, but will you keep them on then? Yes, definitely. And then five minutes later. Then, yeah. But so the other day, that we had a new thing happening in the home. So Anna <coughs> works from home, and then one day in the week, Emily's still at home with her. And they were on their way somewhere, and Anna was just kind of casually dressed, just chilling, you know, doing work stuff. And they were on their way out, and Emily said, Mama, I really think you should, you should put something else on. Okay. You know, three years, eh? Anyway, <laughs> so we had a chuckle about that. Praise the Lord. I'm going to start a new fund for uh, fashion, a fashion fund or something, a clothing fund now, you know. Start praying for her husband as well. Anyway. <laughs> Any case, um, praise God. Um, I just want to just throw in something in terms of convergence, which I just had a thought uh, came uh, in terms of something the Lord laid on my heart at prayer last week. Um, I just had this in feeling that it was this urgency that God is calling us um, as shofar to not only um, haphazardly reap a harvest, but to just deliberately and intentionally build harvest machines, like combined harvesters, like arcs. You know, the Lord spoke to Noah, and he built, like, how long did he build on that ark? Like 100 or 200 years spent building this vessel to save people and to save, to, for, the, for the lot, to save, you know, as a place of salvation. And I felt the same way God is calling us to build um, combined harvesters and arcs and for masses of people to be saved. And um, I just feel God wants to just start stirring our hearts for that. So I want to really encourage you, be there at uh, Convergence, and let's trust God to, to hear what He has to say. Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah, God. What a privilege and what a blessing to be here this evening. And uh, what an amazing sense of your presence in this place, God. We thank you that you are here. Thank you, Lord, that you know every heart in this place, God. Thank you that uh, it's your desire for each of us to be transformed into your image. And this is our desire this evening. We just, just declare that we, you know, as we prayed earlier, we, let, we set aside distractions and stuff that keeps our hearts busy. And we, we decide and we are completely present here with you, Lord, and what you want to do. And thank you, the Holy Spirit, for that you are our teacher, and that you lead us into truth, into all truth, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I was kicked over this beautiful table. Alrighty. So I'm going to minister from James, um, chapter 1. And I, I borrowed the title from Tim Keller. So. I hope he forgives me, but he wrote a great book called uh, James, A Faith That Comes Down to Earth. You know, um, so I haven't actually read the book, I must confess, but I, I love the title, so I borrowed it from him. Um, and uh, before I start, thanks so much, Andre, and uh, thanks for the team, and I just want to honor Stefan and Lauren in the absence, and also Pastor Henny, whose birthday it is today, just uh, for the amazing work that they are doing in the city. And uh, what a what a blessing. You guys are blessed with the leaders that you have. I hope you realize that. So please continue to pray for them. 
Um, so, yeah, I borrowed this title, and uh, I really enjoy the book of James. He he really brings our faith kind of to nuts and bolts. You know, he presses a couple of buttons that sometimes a bit uncomfortable. And uh, it's, uh, you know, he he says, listen, guys, you know, if, if your faith, is your, is your, what is your faith worth if it's not visible? You know, if, if it's not, uh, if it doesn't, f- you know, follow into action. And to think of the, what I also enjoy about James is that he had a very unique relationship with Jesus. You think about it. Did you, have you thought about that? <laughs> so he was the brother of Jesus. Um, us assume the younger brother. Just making an assumption because, because Jesus was conceived before they were married. But, um, so, but it, can you see that? Uh, just that in itself would, want me, would make me want to listen to what he has to say. Because he, he had engaged with Christ on a completely different level. I'm sure he must have dealt with some stuff coming from older brother to Lord and Savior kind of dynamic. Any case, but, uh, yeah, so I want us to, I want to read the chapter one. So you're going to have to stick with me. But, uh, so before we do that, so one of the things that I felt challenged with, maybe even before we read, is to say, how visible is my faith? What does it mean? How, how visible is my faith? Is it like a, is it like a hidden talent? You know, we were on a mission recently with um, a bunch of guys from our church and our family. It's the first time we went on a, on a longer mission as a family. It was 10 odd days. So that was challenging in its own way, you know, with all the children and stuff. They did amazing and it was really great. But, you know, on the trip like that, you get to know one another and then suddenly you just get to know stuff about people that you didn't know before. Like the, we, were, we arrived at the airport and we were waiting for another lady to arrive. And one of the team members that came to fetch us just sits down. There's a piano there. You know how they sometimes have pianos in random public places? He sits down, I'm thinking, maybe chopsticks. No, he rits, lets rip, eh? And he pulls something out the bag there, and it's just it's like, geez, okay. Didn't know this about you, you know? Make a mental note about getting him into the band, obviously. But uh, <laughs> is it like that? Is it like something that your buddy at work hears about you randomly? Oh, is it? You know, I didn't know that about you. Is it so like that? Is it like a hidden talent that pops up when, you know, or that I remember <laughs> as a as a young believer, my faith was I, was, I was pretty much a KGB Christian, to be honest. Do you know what a KGB Christian is? It's an undercover, undercover Christian. So I, was, I could hide it really well. I, was, I, had a faith, I had a conviction of my, of my faith, and I had a conviction of being born again. But it was certain parts of my life where people didn't know that I was a believer. So I'm asking, and I think this is what James is saying, is how visible is my faith? How visible is it in the way I do business? How visible is my faith in my marriage? Now it's getting challenging. How visible is my faith in my children? <laughs> in the way I parent them, you know? How visible is my faith in my budget? That's a tough one, you know? I, I have this desire, I praise the Lord, one day we'll get there, but I want people to look at my budget and say, this guy has a heart for the kingdom. I can see it right there. You know, that stuff. So I believe this is what James is kind of 
challenging us with this evening. So let's have a, have a quick read. I'm going to read fast because you can follow on the screen. And we're going to read chapter 1 quickly <coughs> in the New Living Translation. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings, dear brothers and sisters. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, excuse me, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you're asking, be sure that, you, that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a, the, as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Do, so don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word, and we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. Understanding this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of that God has planted in, our, in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Hallelujah. There we go. There's a lot in there, hey? Yeah. Okay, I won't be able to cover all of that before 8 o'clock at least. So... Um, I'm going to just point out a few things that really that convicted me as I worked through this. And, um, and one of the things that I'm, I noticed here uh, is this progression that, he, that becomes visible in terms of how we process difficulties and challenges. Um, so I want us to actually look at that a little bit. 
Let's have a look. I'm just going to highlight one or two scriptures again. Sorry, guys. Lots of James this evening. Um, but now from the Amplified, all right? Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be f- perfect and completely developed in your faith. Lacking nothing. And I just want to add this one bit before we go on. Blessed, happy, spiritually prosperous, favored by God is the man who is steadfast under trial and perseveres when tempted. For when he has passed the test and been, uh, and been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm te- being tempted by God, for temptation does not originate from God. But from our own flaws, for God cannot be tempted by what is evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when He is dragged away, enticed and baited to commit sin by His own worldly desire, lust, passion. And then when illicit desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it has sin has run its course, it gives birth to death. I want us to point out this, if we can go on to the next one, this kind of progression that He speaks about. And... I hope it's clear from where you're sitting. But uh, so he start, he talks about this progression, and I want us to just stand still at a couple of these bits. Firstly, he talks about trials and temptations, and um, and he's basically saying, you know, when those things are going to come, guys. And unfortunately, it's actually one of those things where Jesus says, "This is a given." You know, I remember in maths at school. They have a wordsom, and they say there are some given things in the beginning. This is one of those. It's the given. This is going to happen. Trials are going to come. Difficulties are going to come. Offense. Offense is going to come. So he's saying uh, this is a given. Um, don't run in the wrong direction when these things come. And, you know, trials, those, those are those tricky, difficult things, those those fiery furnace type of experiences we work through. And I remember as a young believer thinking, this can't be, how can God allow this in my life? You know, kind of, is it, <laughs> how is it possible? How is it possible that God can allow me to work through this stuff? And I, I often found myself trying, just getting out of that, that uncomfortable, fiery kind of furnace situation to get out of there as quickly as I can. And then uh, it's as if you get a rewrite. And you find yourself in that situation. You find a couple of months later in a very similar situation, like, hmm, okay, maybe I should pay attention <laughs> to what God is doing. I don't want to find myself here again. But uh, so he allows these trials. And if you think about... Um, even, but you know, he also talks about at the same point. He talks about temptations, and he makes a distinction that temptations are clearly not from God, right? Uh, God does not tempt us, but what he does do is he provides a way of escape in every temptation, in every challenge, in every place where the enemy tries to get at us. God, by through His Holy Spirit, provides the way of escape. Amen. 
So and then he goes on from there. Okay, so I want to say to us, when you're in that fiery furnace, when you're in that trial, when you're in that place of temptation, run towards him. Run towards the fellowship of the saints. Don't run away. I, I don't know. I've seen that so many times in my own life. There's this thing in us that thinks, I want to just sort this bit out here before I can share this with my small group or with my friend or the guy. I, I, I'm actually going to not go to church because I just have to process this thing. Or I'm going to, and I'm, I'm, and I'm, and seeing that in my own heart and ministering to others, similar situations, I'll say that's exactly the time when we do need to run towards those people that really love and care for us, those that really can pray with us and can encourage us. So don't isolate ourselves you know, and don't run away, but run towards God in that place of challenge. Then he talks about faith being tested. And there's a couple of images around this in the scriptures around you know, the fiery furnace, gold of you know, precious metals being purified, and all of that happens under extreme heat and pressure. Oh, that's not comfortable stuff. That's extreme circumstance. You know, when, when the metals are being purified, it's heat, it's pressure, it's everything so that the impurities can, can rise to the surface and that they can get rid of those so that what left, what's left over is really pure and is precious and is glorious. Um, and what, what really challenges me when I look at this progression is it talks about tested faith and it's almost like before you experience a testing of your faith, how do you know your faith is worth something? Is it worth something? Is it worth something bef if it's not been really tested? Is it, you know, <laughs> um, it w and it's often when, when we are in that place of fiery furnace that we realize, okay, so I need to grow in this area. And I remember doing marriage prep and um, now being involved with marriage prep, I really enjoy doing you know, marriage prep. And one of the things that I always chuckle about is, is inevitably, as a couple, when you talk about conflict or you know communication, stuff like that, they get this vague expression. I'm like, what on earth are you talking about? Conflict? How? No, we don't fight. We we've never had. And like, and I've learned to just have a, like a poker face. It's a good skill for a pastor. I'm just saying, like, okay, cool. Just listen. In any case, you know, it's probably not going to mean anything to you. But in any case, but. Uh, I remember thinking when I was getting married, I thought, I'm going to be a great husband. I'm spirit-filled. I've got Jesus on my side. What more? I mean, what more do you need? <laughs> Yo, guys, um, um, there's uh, something about that the closest relationship you will ever have to any another human being that brings out stuff out of us like nothing else. Amen? That brings things to the surface that you think, yo, sheesh, didn't realize that was there any, uh, still, you know, and then to say, okay, God, uh, actually, I need to process this, I need to, I need to your grace in this thing, I didn't, th I realized this is still there, amen, so, so if stuff comes out under that pressure, under a fiery furnace situation, if stuff comes out, let's trust God to process it, and let's, 
not run away from the situation. Amen. <coughs> All right. And then he talks about uh, steadfast. So from trials and temptations, our faith is being tested. And then when that has run its course, it talks about steadfastness, talks about endurance, perseverance. And if, if interestingly enough, you think about these things, in, in, except for like sport, this is not stuff that we celebrate a lot anymore. Hey, think about it. Except for like endurance athletes and stuff like that. People don't celebrate when somebody's been at a company for a gazillion years anymore. You know? My my father in law just retired and he'd been at the same company now for thirty years, basically. And I remember us we were there just on his birthday <coughs> over the pastor summit and I remember the Lord just really encouraging me to just make a make a scene and honor him because that's really something. Because these days we just hop around, we just, you know, as soon as there's a better opportunity or open door, it's just two years here, a year and a half there. And we don't, it's as if the society we're in doesn't celebrate steadfastness, endurance, perseverance. Even, even in marriage. Just, you know, if it doesn't work out, get a trade in, you know, just like with them. <laughs> That's how the world thinks. Everything is expendable. But he says that this is something that, that is that when our faith is tested, if we if we, if it runs its course, it gives it comes to a place where we can be steadfast, where we have endurance and we are able to persevere. And uh I, f I found this in our a friend of ours uh, was preaching last week and he really challenged me in his sermon he said what we what we often see in in christian community circles is we see you know people come into a community like this we get to know one another start doing life together draw you know relationships get closer but then as the bible says iron sharpens iron right but the moment that first that first iron hits iron situation arises and sparks fly, you're like, whoa, this can't happen in church. This can't be right. I'm going to find myself a better church <laughs> where I don't have to be iron shopping, iron situations, you know. And we step away from that and we get offended and we're like, this can't be God. I'm going to find myself a more comfortable church family. I'm, I'm sure it's not nothing. None of you guys have experienced that. Uh, you guys look like amazing people. No ironing, <laughs> opening here, yeah, no sparks. But but can you see what I'm saying? It's often that we, the moment there's an iron sharpening iron situation, we 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 try and avoid it as much as possible instead of saying, "Yo, okay, that's why I'm here because I want to grow. I want to get rid of the stuff that's being." I want the sparks are going to have to fly for me to be actually become more like Jesus. So I want to encourage you guys. I want to encourage myself. Let's let's stick it through the iron sharpening iron situations, and let's not just step away. Because what's what's going to happen in the next blessed congregation, 200 meters down the road, it's going to take six months, which is going to be amazing. And then as soon as you get into a cl closer relationship, and there's a bit of a spark situation, then that cycle is probably 
going to repeat itself. So, amen. Let's, let's stick it out, amen. Let's trust God to really see one another grow. And one of the things I've noticed in this endurance, perseverance thing is when it comes to parenting, I have to watch the clock here. Eh? Sorry, I'll watch it. What does it mean when a pastor looks at his watch? It means nothing. Yeah. Okay. All right. No worries. I'll be quick. Um, but it's it's crazy um, how often the default setting for us in terms of parenting is is to gravitate to what society gravitates towards, and the society we're living in, the default is very much a child-centered home. So, whether we think about it like that or not, if we're not deliberately choosing otherwise, everything starts to center about around what is important for this little person. And I've seen it in our own, you know, we've got three amazing, beautiful children, but they're all born in sin. They are all sinners, all three of them. I can confirm it beyond a shadow of a doubt. But um, <laughs> have, you, have you seen a situation where it seems like unless we choose otherwise, specifically and deliberately, it starts to be everything about the comfort of the child. They cannot be thirsty for 30 seconds. I'm thirsty right now. I'm not talking about babies. Please remember, okay? I'm not talking about newborn babies. So that's, it's important that they must... Uh, <laughs> I'm talking <laughs> a little bit older, right? So if a child says, I'm thirsty, or I'm, I've, I've just realized, I can say, listen, you will not die. If you... If you hang in there for half an hour, you're not going to die. And that seems revolutionary to many parents because immediately they just find something because we cannot have this child be thirsty or hungry. A friend of ours used to say when they were on long trips, they would say, I'm thirsty, and they would, a moment, say, drink your spookies, you know. <laughs> and he goes, explain to your neighbor. If you but... Uh, <laughs> So just that whole thing of delayed gratification, helping your child to realize that life is not about them. Yes, you can hang in there for five minutes, or <laughs> depending on age, right? Um, although I did, I did make a plan for David. He had this thing in the night. He would call, Papa, you know, Foggies. He wants water. He wants thirsty. Right? I'm like, oh, you know, I just pretend not to hear, and I hope Anna wakes up. But, <laughs> and then I used to get up two, three times at night. And the thing is, when he's half asleep, I can't, he cannot, you know, it doesn't work so like in the night. In the day, it's easy. So I must admit, at night, I made a plan. I hung a camelback on his, on his bed. And there's a pipe there now, and he can, he can help himself <laughs> to water. He knows it's there. He just, <laughs> hey, win, win situation. No more varkies in the middle of the night. I just have to fill it up every couple of days. Any case, praise the Lord. So we have better nights rest now. Any case, can okay, I have distracted myself? All right. So, okay. So we see this, 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 this 
place of steadfastness, this place of endurance, this place of perseverance that God wants us to grow to. And then he speaks about being complete, lacking nothing. I want to quickly look at that again. So he says, um, and let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work. Right? Isn't that a beautiful way of saying it? So when that iron sharpening irons comes, let endurance have do a thorough work. I mean, so that you may be perfect and complete, completely developed in your faith, lacking nothing. For me, that that speaks about becoming more like Jesus. And I often challenge myself, and I kind of changes of seasons, new years, end of the year situations. You think, how can I measure my growth? And often I just ask myself, in which way have I become more like Christ this year? And like sometimes I, I'm discouraged, but often you know, I I think we have to ask ourselves stuff like that. How have I become more like Christ? How have I been transformed into His image? And he says, and then he goes on. Um, yes, but he speaks about that completeness, that having it, you know, does a thorough work in us. And I, and I, I obviously we all believe, we all know we're not going to be like Jesus perfectly, exactly perfect before he comes back, all right? We know that. But I believe he's, he's made provision for us to grow, to be more like him. Amen? For us to progress, for us to become mature, for us to, um, to make to progress forward. I mean and then and then he comes comes to this place where he speaks about the crown of life. Um, I'm just gonna read a bit here again. It says um in blessed and happy spiritually prosperous, favored by God is the man who is steadfast under trial and perseveres when tempted, for when he has passed the test and been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life. And then he says something interesting, which the Lord has promised to those who tick all the boxes. <laughs> who promised to those who love him. And uh, it's, it's as if he's saying the, the key to us coming to that place of the crown of life is more in our relationship with God than in our performance, isn't it? Although he's talking about faith and, and works, he's talking about that. But he's saying uh, the crown of life is prepared for those who, who love God. And at the core of our love for him, isn't that the way we trust him? Isn't that at the core of, of our faith, of our love of God, is how we trust him, how we relate to him? And, and, and in terms of pack, unpacking that a little bit, in terms of our faith in Christ, do we re- in which way do we receive that? In which way do we receive him? In which way... Does our faith um, manifest itself? Do we receive Him? How do we? How do I receive Christ as Savior? How do I receive Christ as Lord? In terms of you know, Lord over everything in my life. How do I receive Him as Counselor? How does how does my faith? become visible in the way I receive him, not only as Savior, not only as Lord, not only as um, counselor, 
comforter, the one who comes alongside, but also as treasure. The one for whom I'm willing to give up everything. The one, that, you know, that we, he says that the, the kingdom is like the, the man who finds the treasure in a field. And he goes and sells everything, gives up everything. It's just so he can grab a hold of that. How, how does that look? Is that visible in the way I relate to God, that this is my treasure? That there's nothing greater. There's nothing more important. Now, coming back to just relating to our children, and I want them to see that. That although I often tell my son, he's my favorite son. I only have one son. But I tell him, He's my favorite boy in the whole world. Uh, it's actually a benefit that I only have one because I can tell it to him. Other ones I have to have to specify a little bit. You know, my favorite younger daughter. And uh, for him, I tell him, I ask him, who's my favorite boy? And he says, I am. But even though that is the case, I want him to realize that he's not the most important thing in my life. And even though he knows his mom is more important than he is. He must know that even even beyond mommy's importance, there's somebody else. And I've I've seen this even when we talk about obedience to Christ. When they recognize that daddy listens to Jesus. I listen to daddy, but daddy doesn't just do what he wants. Daddy also has to listen to somebody. Daddy listens to Jesus, and we follow Jesus as a family. You can see them processing that. When we came back from England a couple of years ago, a massive shift, obviously, for us. We thought we were going to be there for 30 years or whatever, you know. And uh, big shift, big mind shifts happening, you know, making adjustments. But we believe we, God spoke clearly. And, and actually, but after we'd already made the decision, Abigail was four at the time. She... I don't know why she didn't say this earlier. But she says, yeah, I had a dream. Jesus said to me in the dream, we're going to go back to Africa. That's how they spoke about South Africa at that point. Africa, it was like this, uh, the dark continent, you know, any case. But she said, Jesus said to her in a dream, we're going to go back to Africa. And we're going to we come back here. And when we talk about obedience to Christ, when we talk about being called to do His will as a family, you know, building the kingdom, I, I, it's such a blessing to be able to use examples like that. So you remember, Jesus, we were preaching the gospel in England, and then Jesus spoke to us. He said, you must go there. And we as a family, we follow what he tells us to do. And it's amazing how you can see they process that. Um, because they, they learn they must listen to the teacher, they must listen to mommy and daddy. But for them to realize that our lives are not about the comfort of our family, or even what it's not about what is best for us as a family, that our lives as a family revolve about around what Jesus is telling us to do. Um, this wasn't part of the sermon. But um, but how do we how do we live that out as as a Christ being our treasure to a place where we are where we receive that crown of life? Amen. There's a bunch of stuff I still want to share, but I want to 
Okay, I'll just share the one thing. Then we can close. But uh, So the one thing that he also mentions, and I'll just quickly read here, and James, let's go on to the... Yes, this one. He says, if you need wisdom, um, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. Or a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea and is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty, and this is challenging me. The, the, the translation I, I know is the New King James is different to this. But it says here, their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they will, are unstable in everything they do. And it's such a powerful way of, ex, of, of expressing it because it's, it's not only there's a doubt, but there's, there's a division of loyalty. And they're saying if your loyalty is divided, you, you're going to struggle to receive from God. And I felt sure how often, how often does the, the world we live in call, you know, shouting out for us to, <laughs> for our loyalty and for our devotion, for our time, for our resource. How often is there so many, you know, cries out there that is, if we're not careful, is going to cause our loyalty, is going to cause our, are going to cause our loyalties to be divided. Um, and I want to quickly read a verse that's not on there, and then we're going to close. So he says in, in sec, First Corinthians chapter two. This is not James. This is Paul. He says, uh, when I first came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't use, this is from verse 1 to 5, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And I felt this this conviction that when Jesus, when James says, "Ask God for wisdom," we need to dis- be able to discern what is God's wisdom, what's God's power, versus. The wisdom of the human wisdom that, that Paul writes about here. And he's gone through all of this stuff. He's saying he's been very deliberate in the way that he's brought the gospel, in the way that he's preaching, in the way that he's coming across, because he says, so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And I want to, some, just my last challenge to us this evening is are you and I? as our default setting? Are we trusting in the power of God? Are we asking God for His wisdom? Or do we gravitate toward what is, what is human wisdom? Um, even in the place of your expertise, expertise, even in the place of where you know what you're doing, do you, do you and I choose to rely on human wisdom? Or do we trust in the power of God? Do we ask and are we reliant on the wisdom that comes from God? <coughs> um, you know, I'm reminded of of Jesus um, the, after the disciples had fished all night 
and he's on the shore and he calls out to them and they hadn't caught anything. And he cries out, he shouts out to them, you know, throw it in on the other side. You remember that? And I'm always thinking, these are all fishermen, most of them, right? Mostly fishermen. This is their thing. They do this for a living. They, they know their stuff. Now, this, the carpenter guy, is wanting to tell them how to do their business. Okay? And I, I just felt God saying, even in your place of expertise, or maybe especially in your place of expertise, especially in the place where you know your business, God is inviting us to trust in the power of God and not in human wisdom, to trust. I believe, I believe the Holy Spirit is saying that there's some of us that have started with our walk with Christ in trusting in the power of God, but somehow have gravitated back towards trusting in human wisdom. I see that in my own life. How often do I just grab that banana or whatever and I don't even think about praying? My children challenge me on this a lot. They've, you know, <laughs> I was once still living in England, going up the stairs, and I hit my head like really hard. I was I was on the stairs, like lying like this, and uh, holding it like, oh, you know. <laughs> and Abby was quite small, I think two or three, and she came and she put her fingers right there, right on that spot. I was like, no, you know, get away, you know. And she, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm really in pain, yeah. And after a while, after a moment or two, I realized she was laying hands on me. Because clearly daddy is in pain and he needs to be prayed for, right? And I was actually so challenged in that because she, we've been reading this, you know, in the Bible stories, lands on the sick. And she, that was her default. She just thought, because Jesus did this, that we must do this. And she was putting her finger there on the soap. But, and, and how, you know, so many times... When my children pray for me, I'm instantly healed. Because they don't want worry. They don't. They don't wonder about stuff like this. But but and they it seems like their default is is to trust in the power of God. Where somehow, even as mature believers, we tend to gravitate back to trusting in the wisdom of in human wisdom. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.